Welcome to the Fayetteville Fire Podcast, where we talk about all things fire-related, safety tips, and things that are happening in our can-do city. I'm Don Cheetah, Captain Community Risk Reduction, and I'm your host for the podcast. According to the National Fire Protection Association statistics, there was an annual average of 48,530 home heating fires between 2014 and 2018. These fires resulted in an estimated 500 civilian deaths, 1,350 civilian injuries, and $1.1 billion in direct property damage. We'll talk more about this later during our safety message of the month. So today we're going to talk about with the folks with planning and research and all that goes in to data collection um, and other things in the office. I'd like to welcome our special guest today, Battalion Chief Mike Autry and Samantha Gossard. Good morning. Hello. Hello. How are you doing? Doing great. So planning and research, that's a fancy title. Yeah, or Office of Strategic Planning and Research or research and planning, however you want to call it. I say sometimes we call it research then plan, but we call it planning and research. So tell, tell a little bit about the office. So um, right now there's myself, which um, the battalion chief, that uh, accreditation manager, planning and research manager. Um, we have one captain assigned, Captain Jeremy Johnson. He is the, um, he does GIS, he gathers data, uh, from RMS and also um, helps with our technology side, where CAD and MCTs, um, mobile computer terminals, for those who don't know what we're talking about on the fire trucks. Uh, he helps manage that. And then we have Samantha Gossard who helps uh, look after our records management system, incident reports, uh, pulling information for whatever need we may have. And the public information side of that, when people need information from call reports and such as that. Okay, and call reports, that's, that's a big thing, isn't it, Samantha? It sure is. <laughs> people want to know what, what, what's going on. Or... Yeah, fortunately, uh, unfortunately, we, we run a lot of fire calls in the city. And, of course, for every call that they go on, there is a fire report. So people need that for all sorts of different reasons. And I'm the one. Right. Um, insurance investigators, insurance claims, or just nosy yep overall <laughs> a lot of people from universities doing a lot of research as well trying to find trends in our data as well oh that's interesting i did not know that yeah <laughs> all right so we talk about data we, we live in a, a data-driven society so so to speak now that everything's got to have data to back it when we do something so you know living in a data-driven society what goes into collecting the fire department data so there's multiple aspects um you know, we get our information from not just the reports we run uh, as far as the entries of reports, but also from uh, the computer-aided dispatch system. We get the times, the information, stuff like that. There's you know, so many dynamics to that. You know, everybody wants to know why, you know, why something happens. Um, you know, we are definitely data-driven, totally. Uh, it was something I was just reading earlier prior to coming in here that um, – we use, I forget how much data is consumed in 2020, but it was like take a one gigabyte thumb drive and lay it end to end was 160 million football fields long compared to when I was young. I'm an old guy um, that, you know, uh, <laughs> I didn't even know what a thumb drive was. So we, we, we tend to gather from multiple resources when it comes to that. Sometimes it's even, you know, through investigation reports or whatever, that may drive data for whatever we're looking for. So uh, there's uh, 
dozens and dozens of ways that we actually pull information from. And what goes into collecting from it is, you know, basically uh, what are we looking for? Um, you know, just like an incident report when it's put in, the accuracy of that information coming in is how accurate the information is coming out. So uh, we, we, we strive to have a good quality assurance program, quality checks on these incidents to make sure that we're given the correct information when somebody's asked for it. And that's not only publicly, but we do a lot internally with that information. Yeah. It... Oh, to add on that, I was going to say, you know, as soon as somebody picks up the phone to call 911, we are collecting data. Um, we have all that information of what is said to the dispatcher so they can figure out what type of call it is and what kind of apparatuses and crew members are needed to assist on that type of call. And then when uh, the call gets sent to the, the fire station, there's all sorts of data there as far as like what time they roll out of the station. We have GPS of how long it takes them to get to that address. And then um, on that call, they collect data, of course, for all the, the people who are there and the type of incident it is and then on the back end sometimes i have to go back and hey guys somebody said their their car was next to a car on fire we need to <laughs> go back and clean up data and make sure we have everything and just be able to the more we collect the more we can research and help out and i think it'd be fair to say so at the at the top of the mountain so to speak you got national fire protection association which they're basically collecting data on what types of emergency calls are going on and then that's how they develop different prevention or code books for fire code enforcement, building codes. And then it trickles down to us where we're just trying to make ourselves better, I guess. You know, how can we improve in this area or that area? How can we get uh, more people on a scene? How can we get to the scene quicker? I would be fair to say all that goes into. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, there's other things. We use census data. You know, we... Uh, I was borrowing some DOT maps and looking at those and, you know, um, looking at households who had fewer cars than others. Uh, what does that mean on the EMS side? Do we get more calls there uh, due to uh, more of an emergent need for transport to a medical facility versus um, some people who have multi-car vehicles in their home? Those things, we look at them. We, we look at them and w what does that mean for us? So that data is collected. Um, we also use historical data. You know, uh, we don't gather many shipboard accident data sets because we don't have a shipping industry in Fayetteville. <laughs> so, and, and not to sound funny, but when we're looking at, in a nutshell, what's best for the citizens and the people visiting our town, we need to know what the priorities are, what, what, what we're looking at. So data drives us. To, to cater our to tailor our services, so to speak, to what are the all hazard needs for our community. And I think people may not understand. I, you and I work together closely, your office and myself, you know, with community risk reduction and identifying what issues we got in what areas of our city and, and how we can best um, manage them. And it some of the data, it leads us outside of the fire department with other partners within the city. Um, one of the demographics we talked about, um, and you just talked about again, is lack of transportation. And we notice we have a trend of a lot of EMS calls in that area because people need a way to get to a doctor, so to speak, and that's the only way to get there is by ambulance. It's something that we work with maybe 
the Fayetteville area transit system? Can we get a bus route getting more close to that area or something? Would that be fair to say that? Yeah, we, we try to dial in to as many of the geolocations we can. You know, it even comes into play that data drives where our fire stations are. Um, and we can get into further that with ISO, but also a big part of our accreditation piece is measuring where the optimal response areas are for these fire stations and the types of equipment, um, the number of people assigned, their specialties, you know, all these, all this data drives where we're at when it comes to, you know, brand new station four that's being built on Bragg Boulevard. That was a, a data-driven decision. Of course, you have to have land. You have to have the ability to build a station. But it still does drive where we, the optimal location for a fire station and their apparatus are. Yeah, yeah. not only where the fire stations are, but where a truck company is versus a squad versus an engine company, um, heavy rescue companies, that all, I think that all comes into play it with does. that. It does. So you, you mentioned accreditation. So w- first off, for those that don't understand or, or quite know what, what is accreditation? It's not a certification. <laughs> I think that's the first thing to, to eliminate. As a, uh, and this is from a guy who rode a fire truck for a long time looking at it. It's a process. It's, this is a continuous process of improvement. Um, you know, if you were to go look for a, a school of higher education today, uh, ideally you would find an accredited university and you would look for that. They're, they're validated. They're verified and validated. So, our accreditation looks at 11 categories, and those 11 categories, you know, they're they're also reviewed by peers. They're industry best practices. We continuously are working to improve each piece of this, and there's multiple segments of that, you know, accreditation. That's uh, anything from uh, we have a standard of cover that's adopted by us, which says EMS calls will have this, and this is, you know, the type the incidents we respond to. This is how it lays out, that's a standard. But that's all based off of a community risk assessment, which is done through each accreditation cycle, which is five years long, and we're on our fourth accreditation cycle, which is a, a, a large number. The fourth accreditation is a pretty high number as far as going through. Uh, we don't see a lot of for, uh, agencies that, there's quite a few that are third and fourth, but uh, we're we're one of the few that's going for the fourth right now in in the United States. So uh, we're very proud to say that we're, you know, we're one of those agencies. But um, that there's a lot of dynamics to that. Yeah, I'll jump in really quick before this podcast. Uh, I've looked into it. There are 310 accredited agencies in the U.S., and with that, it means that 13% of the population is protected by an accredited uh, fire department. It's a very very small amount. Yes. And, and we had Chief Hill on here uh, last month's podcast, and one of the things that we were proud of is not only accredited, but ISO Class 1 rated, which is a whole different whole different thing is, is ISO to accreditation. Yeah, and if, you know, we talk about ISO, you know, ISO, Insurance Services Organization, when we talk accreditation versus ISO, accreditation is all hazards. When we talk about it, it's everything. When we talk about ISO, we're looking at the, what they call the PPC, Public Protection Classification, in which, um, you know, is fire only. So, and it's an industry standard. It's not specific to Fayetteville. It could be, the you know, the largest department in the United States, or it could be the smallest department. They have to meet the same criteria. 
and of those, um, class 10 being the worst, class one being the best, uh, we're very proud to say that we're an accredited ISO class one and have been for quite some time now. And uh, what that means for our community when it comes to uh, savings is we're giving them the best opportunity to save on homeowners insurance rates because uh, most um, insurance companies look at multiple things, zip codes, history, how close your fire hydrant is to your home, um, a lot of other things. Uh, but the fire services whole, ISO grades us in four categories. And of those four categories overall, we rated as a class one. So uh, we're very proud of that. And, and I think it'd be, you know, would be fair to say when you're ISO, you got a standard sheet, how much equipment you you carry on a unit, different units, and, and how many fire hydrants you got in an area, distance to fire hydrants. A lot of them things play into ISO into, into your insurance rating. That accreditation is, is more expanded, and it's more of a, how would we say this? That the, the accreditation is more of a, a self-improving uh, piece. Here's yes. where here's where we at. Here's where we want to go. These are our goals. And then after five years, did we reach these goals? And now here's the next five years of goals we want. And it's a continuing assessment of ourselves. Would that be fair to say on that? Yeah, and they're both assessments. I look at them as all a way of life. You know, accreditation is this continuous improvement. ISO is that this is the way we live. Uh, if we have you know, a firefighter gets 240 hours of training a year, they've met the max as far as the goal. Uh, that's the maximum they'll give you credit for. We shoot for that every year, whatever firefighter here. You know, uh, equipment placement comes in with ISO. Uh, engines are a mile and a half. Uh, truck companies are two and a half miles apart, road miles. So when we measure for our accreditation piece, we look at times. So uh, we don't uh, – we. We look at how quick you get out the door is probably the first thing. Our minimum expectation is, you know, a roll time of a minute 30 uh, after dispatch. And why is that important? What's the difference? So the, the times are something that are looked at a little bit with ISO. They looked at how fast you can get this number to handle the fire job. But with a, with accreditation, we continuously work to improve those times and, you know, Part of that is like call processing time. So, you know, Chief Hill was our first accreditation manager. And so we, it's kind of funny because it's as me coming in as the new kid on the block accreditation last year and talking to a guy who knows the ins and outs um, can be kind of challenging. But, you know, one of the things they done in there was a cut well over a minute off call processing time by how we started measuring going back to the top of our questions measuring the data, how do we improve this? So a minute saved in call processing is a minute quicker to a patient who needs to care, uh, someone who has a fire, someone who's been in a vehicle accident, or any of those calls. So we still measure that data, and we still expect you know these top times. We set a benchmark that we would like to be on each category ISO doesn't look at anything hazmat. They don't look at EMS. They don't look at rescue. So accreditation does. It looks at every hazard. And we define those. You know, we define what the expectations are and our standard of cover. Fair enough. And, you know, for those out there listening and say, well, you know, what's the difference 30 seconds to a minute? Um, a room and content, a fire in a bedroom can go from a, just that room and content, so to speak, to a 
outside of room getting into other areas of the house in a matter of that one minute. So terrifying, really. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah, we we talk, we talk about you know the first fire engine getting on the scene with a complement of people who can complete the task. And we say, you know, our goal is to get you in there from the time the call is received by you to you get on the scenes five minutes and 12 seconds or less. Well, that was not a shot in the dark of, hey, we got that. That's a study. That was actually a NIST study. And NFPA says that flashover from the time something happens, that catastrophic flashover fire could happen in this window and the best measure we could say for us after using all these studies was that first unit gets there we may be able that's our best chance of saving a life and stopping fire spread which helps us with ISO because it gets us those complement of people that they're looking for in a certain amount of time too. Yeah and when, when we're talking flashover fire we're talking uh, going from a trash can burning to to full room involvement. And, you know, on the investigation side, we've done a lot of, of study and training with this. And you're, you're talking five, five and a half minutes with modern furniture to go from a wastebasket fire to a full room involvement, basically everything burning. So you talked about different times. <laughs> For those of you who don't know out there, I think our, uh, our from dispatch to on the truck rolling is still a minute 30. So those of you who don't understand out there, if you wake up in the middle of the night, um, suddenly to get fully dressed, get out your door and get in your vehicle and start rolling down your driveway in a minute 30. It's pretty quick. Yeah. I tell people, you know, I used to tell my wife, Hey, let's set an alarm clock every 15 minutes and go off, jump up, get dressed, go out to the car, drive around the block. You get canceled from the call, go back, lay down, do it again. (laughs) Kind of how I felt last night. But, uh, uh, so we have those, um, and it's, you know, this, something we um we monitor we we track um it, it's in our annual reports it's in uh, everybody gets a weekly or daily report on how they done so um, we 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 measure that constantly because we know that's one of the most important pieces if we can't get there in a timely manner in a safe manner of course but if we're not getting there out the door first and then get there safely we can't do the best service to our citizens that we we possibly can Absolutely. And and you brought up another thing. Go ahead, Sam. Well, I was just going to say to piggyback off of just the, uh, you know, dispatch to getting out the door time, things like that It also go into we're we're planning on building more stations. So, okay, we want to make sure when we build this new station that we don't put the bunk room, you know, more than a minute 30 walk on the other (laughs) side of the where the apparatus is. So it's just as I've moved into this office, I think those are all the very small, interesting things where you don't realize where the data is showing that it's so much, so valuable. Yeah. Just travel distance from bed to truck. Yes. <laughs> if you got to go down a long hallway or if you're upstairs and got to go downstairs cause you don't have a, a fire pole or something <laughs> to slide down it, it right. all adds into it. Very good point. And you mentioned something else you were going. So you said annual report. Yeah. So talk about the annual report and where that really so Blaze. basically, when I when I look at annual report, I was like, well, it's like the yearbook of what happened. Um, so, and uh, the, through School of Hard Knocks last year, I um, learned that we have some great graphic folks here in the city to help me put together a really nice looking document. But uh, basically, what it does, it uh, it lets us know, you know, our performance. It it builds credibility. I'm giving somebody a view of 
here's how we done. Here's how many calls we had. We'll break down the number of calls. We'll break down our budget. You know, we break down our staffing. We'll have milestones in there. So basically, when you see this annual report, um, some folks have put a lot of work into putting it together to show you what, well, last year's 2022. Uh, we'll be working on 2023 very soon. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about uh, it. Along with a lot of other things, the annual compliance report, which is something we provide to CFAI and SIPSI, which is saying, hey, we're meeting our goals, or are we meeting our goals? We do program appraisals every year, too. So all that is to let our stakeholders know, which are our citizens, people on businesses, people traveling in town, our elected body, and, of course, us. Where do we stand? Where have we been? We had a you know, 26,000 calls last year. We typically run about 67% of EMS. If we seen an uptick in that one year, why? You know, we knew COVID year was a huge change because we had to do some things differently uh, response-wise. But if we see, and you're a CRR guy, uh, if we see an uptick of uh, illegal burns and, we, and they're spread into a, you know, a, a wildland fire or grass fire, then we'll track that data. We'll show it in our annual report, but we also need to have a plan on how we're going to fix this. How are we addressing this? And that's uh, the fire service as a whole now, and, and, and it's a, a mandatory part of accreditation process now is the community risk risk assessments and the community risk reduction programs. Um, false fire alarms. Uh, we ran 2,500 false fire alarms right in that ballpark last year. So that's one of the things I look at with the data you help provide me is how, where are we having these false alarms? Why are we having the false alarms? And what message do we have to get out to reduce these false fire alarms? It might be a citizen, uh, noticing a citizen has a three smoke alarm activations and you go look and all three of them were because shower steam. So part of that process is, okay, let's get with the citizen and have them move their smoke alarm away from the bathroom door. <laughs> so, and, and you said the other part of the, the annual appraisal, and I think this is the one that, I, won't, I don't say anything's more important than the other, but presenting to our, our elected body, our, our city council persons, and the, the ones that are going to provide us the funding to continue that's that's that plays a big part doesn't it oh yeah yeah so you know you, you one one thing is budgeting so you know everybody either wants a raise or wants to know where their stuff's coming from or we do a performance-based budget and what does that mean so you know if if you were to pull a copy of the city of Fevel's budget right now and you look at the fire department piece it's going to talk about um, uh, response times, it's going to talk about the number of fires, it's going to talk about um, property saved versus loss. And last year we saved 96% of property save loss ratio, a little over 96%. So if we saw those numbers going down, um, you know, what what's your plan to fix that? You know, do we do we budget more for that? Do we, yeah, do we, 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 put resources there to fix this you know just like i said earlier you know if we uh, we have a, a smoke detector smoke alarm program uh, you know my crr uh, 
Chief McClam is smoke alarm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, smoke uh, alarm. But, it's been beat uh, into me. <laughs> yeah. So, but we have this program. So, you know, if we we identify and we identify, we we document in reports. You know, did they have a working smoke detector or not? That's data we pull. But that's also in performance based. Do we need more money? Do we need more money to provide smoke alarms for for our people? You know, our, our citizens that don't have what we you and I would say. I can't lay my head down. At not knowing you didn't have one, uh, we, yeah, we want that. So uh, we we use that data in our in our budgeting. There's a bunch of there's so many pieces, and it's in our in our PDF document. You can look at it all day long. It's an interesting read if you really want to know. So yeah, there's a lot that goes in the data. It's more than just just uh, budget or just not one piece. It's, it's multi pieces and the end state. I think the fair say is just to make us better. Yes. more proficient and better in what we do. Yeah, continuous improvement. That's that's all we do. That's all we're, our, we strive to do these days, get better. That's it. Well, I want to thank you, Chief Autry, Samantha. I, I appreciate you both coming in, and I hope our folks understand more uh, of what we're doing and why we're doing it. Well, thank you for having us. Thanks. All right, back to our safety tip of the month, home heating safety. Space heaters account for 40% of home heating fires while fireplaces or chimneys account for an additional 30%. Some of the things that lead to this are a failure to clean our heating equipment, like the creosote buildup in your chimney, and heat sources that are, are a heat source that is too close to combustible materials. Some things you can do. Heating equipment and chimneys should be cleaned and inspected every year by a qualified professional. Anything that can burn at least three feet away from all heating equipment, including furnaces, fireplace, wood stoves, and space heaters. Create a three-foot kid-free zone around any open fires or space heaters. Make sure your space heaters are in good working order and used in accordance with the manufacturer's instructions. Make sure you turn off them portable heaters when leaving the room or going to bed. Fireplaces should have a sturdy screen to stop sparks from flying into the room Ashes should be cooled before putting them into a metal container, which should be placed outside at least 10 feet away from your home. And if you have any type of fuel-burning equipment, make sure you have a carbon monoxide alarm in your home, and you want to test these monthly right along with your smoke alarms. Thanks for joining us on Fayetteville Fire Podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to Radio Fayetteville on your favorite streaming platforms to listen to all our podcasts. Next time, we'll be talking to the Fayetteville Fire Department's Fire and Life Safety Educators. Till then, be safe.